I am your host, Jessica Martinez, and you are listening to The Pumping Podcast. Holy moly, guys. Buckle your seatbelts. I have one of the most amazing, inspiring, and mind-blowing stories of a mama. Holy moly. Coming up next, we have Kimberly Much. This mama has known from the beginning that being a mama was in her future. And she let nothing stop her. And when I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. Your mind is going to explode with everything that she and her husband have been through. I'll give you a little piece of comfort. Her story has a wonderful and beautiful happy ending. So keep on listening because you're in for an amazing one. Buckle your seats. Here's Kimberly Much. Kimberly Much, I am so excited. Thank you so much for joining my podcast and uh, agreeing to interview and tell us your amazing story. Of course. I have to admit, I am really not sure where to begin with you. (laughs) um, Just so that everybody knows, we have a mutual friend and I've heard of your story, parts of your story, and what it is is just mind-blowing to me. And so when she mentioned to me, oh, you should ask him if she'd want to be on the pod. I was like, oh my goodness, if we could hear your story, it would be an honor. So I truly think it's one of the most amazing mama journeys that I've ever heard. Um, I feel like you can speak on so many different topics of miscarriages, pregnancy, adoption, and then most recently becoming an author, which is kind of a new and exciting thing for you to dive into. So first of all, I think I just have to kind of pass the torch to you and say, can you please just tell us your inspiring story of how you became a mama? Of course. And thank you for the lovely comments. Um, So I guess we'll start from the very beginning. Um, My husband and I were trying so hard to have babies. And we found out that I had tumors on my uterus and my ovaries. So I had to go through a couple of different surgeries. And how Um, long was that until you found that out? I always kind of had stomach problems. So I kind of figured something was wrong. So I pretty much went in after like four months. Okay. And, and went in, um, and then the doctor, you know, sent me to a surgeon cause she saw some, you know, cysts and tumors and we had to do, um, two rounds of surgeries, um, to remove them. So then we thought we were all set. We went to an IVF specialist, um, to help us out. And we went through a couple rounds of IVF. Um, a couple got, rounds and IVF is expensive, isn't it? IVF is extremely expensive, unfortunately. Um, so there, there's lots of different ways of doing IVF. Um, you can take pills, you can, um, what we did was probably the more extreme. So what they did was they removed some of my eggs and then they kind of built the embryo and then they placed the embryo back in me. So it was a couple of different procedures. Um, but for my case, I had a hard time, um, producing eggs to begin with. So we had to do the first step several times. A lot of times when someone, when a woman does that, she gets like 20 eggs right away. So it's fantastic because then you can do as many rounds as you need off of that. But unfortunately I was getting one egg every single time. So, um, so the first time we did it, um, we implanted, I got pregnant, um, but we lost the baby. I think it was 12 weeks into it. 
And at um, that point, if you don't mind me asking just right off, like already that's kind of an amazing journey. And so how did you make the decision with your husband who seems and sounds amazing by the way, but how did you make that decision to keep going and did it not just totally bum you out? How did you get yeah. from even that beginning point? Because some people I know even just have trouble after that initial miscarriage, you know, or that initial challenge. Yeah, there's nothing easy about having a miscarriage. Um, and everyone takes it on differently. I reached out to the people that I knew had miscarriages so that I could chat with them and get the support that I needed. And my husband just was a constant support and a rock to mm. me. Um, and we always knew we would have children. So it wasn't like for me, when I get something in my head, I'm going to go for it, you know, whether okay. it's a career or a baby or anything. Right. So, so it was always when, in your plan. It was always in my plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and though it was very sad, we, you know, picked back up and went for the next round. And it was like literally the next month we were like, okay, let's do round two. Wow. Okay. So we did the whole thing again. I got pregnant again. Um, and I miscarried again. Um, it wasn't as long this time. Um, and I did that again round for round three. Wow. Um, so after three rounds, we started to chat and I said, you know what? I'm not producing enough eggs. I think if we're going to do IVF again, because it's really hard on your body. So IVF, like you have to do shots. You have like at least three or four shots a day. And it's just really um, rigorous. Yeah. It takes a toll. Um, it does. It definitely takes a toll. And, and do they hard. say anything to you in regards to, I mean, clearly the IVF was working because you were getting pregnant, which is the goal, but then moving forward to have the baby survive, what, were they saying anything about how, like what was missing or what was not following yes. through? So unfortunately, because, you, you know, I was only producing that one egg every single time, we couldn't genetically test it. And when you can genetically test the embryos, then you know what's viable. So you know what's going to die off or not. You know what has a better chance and if it's healthy and whatnot. So we didn't get that chance because we couldn't genetically test it because we were afraid that one egg would die before it even got placed back into me. Right. So um, we were just going with kind of like a hope and a prayer, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why after three rounds, we decide, I decided, I was like, James, I love you so much, but I can't do it again with my um, eggs. So then we looked into donor eggs. So that allowed us to find someone that was suitable for us that we could pick that was um, a donor. And then she did one round of IVF. And then once again, we got 20 eggs from her, which was fantastic. And you would be the carrier, correct? I would be the carrier. I'd be the mom. But I, obviously, it wouldn't be genetic babies of mine. It would be right. James's genetics. Right. So, um, yeah, so we did that. And we went through that. And then we held off for a minute because we were, like, wanting to explore adoption anyways. So did, we – So at this – sorry to interrupt you. At this point, so you have the 20 eggs from the donor. Yep. So did you just kind of keep them and wait and figure that could be an option? Or did you give those a try? No, we, 
we froze them. So we okay. made them into embryos with James's sperm and then we froze them. Um, and we just, it was just to give my body a little break. And Absolutely. because we were wanting to explore adoption. Yeah. So, um, so then we started delving into adoption and the adoption world is, um, just as crazy, just in a totally different way. <laughs> um, we didn't know where to go. We didn't know if we wanted international or domestic or whatnot, but we decided on domestic. And at first we went with a small agency in Michigan that, um, was religious and just felt like they were really moral based and it felt good to us. Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately it didn't end up very good. Um, they, the woman, the owner, I'm just going to name her as Laura, let's say okay. Laura. Um, she ended up lying and, um, she's currently in jail, <laughs> but oh she, um, scammed a bunch of different adoptive moms. So when you're adopting, you're kind of vulnerable because you just, you so badly want a child, right? Absolutely. So you're kind of putting your heart on the line and you're being as open as possible and um, jumping through as many hoops as possible. So we got placed pretty much right away um, with the agency in Michigan with a mom um, a birth mom. And we found out like a month later that she was having a baby shower and was intending to keep the baby. So oh unfortunately, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking, but I was like, okay, well, this is very common to have a failed adoption. So I wanted to continue on. Right. Unfortunately, like the scammy part that happens with, um, the adoption world is the people, the, the parents that want to adopt, they pay for all the expenses expenses of the birth mom. Oh so my God. for the month, like whatever they need for housing, for food, for clothing, for anything. For the now last month of pregnancy? No, for the entire time. For the entire time of a pregnancy? For the entire time of the pregnancy. Now, if the birth mom changes her mind at the end of the um, pregnancy, we just lose the money. So it's- Holy moly. Because it's considered a gift. Otherwise, it's like you're buying a baby, which is completely illegal and wrong. So it's considered a gift and that you're supporting and taking care of the person. Now, I would think like, I hate to think this, but in this day and age, it does seem like there are unfortunately people out there who would do that just as a means to get paid free housing and free food. You have no idea, girl. It's crazy. Okay, oh so, wait, so wait. <laughs> so. This like, this doesn't seem... I, I know so many, there's a flaw in the into, system. Well, and I'm, yeah, I'm not going to get into politics or any of that, but it, like, it just doesn't seem right. And how is this not being, I mean, I guess I don't know what a solution would be, but holy moly. I know. It's, and what, it's wait, absolutely one other, bonkers. One other quick question is, was, was your situation kind of the start of, of the end for this woman and this agency or what did it happen after you were done with them? Uh, it happened during, so wow. we weren't like the biggest case. I'll tell you another case that's absolutely bonkers, but, um, so then let me continue on and I'll get into okay, what sorry, happened to I the agency as so well. No. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So the second time we got placed with another birth mom and we were so excited. She was seven months until, um, delivery. So we, you know, supported her, helped her. We, tried so hard to get in contact with her, but 
Laura never let us talk to her, which was weird, kind of like a red flag, but because we were vulnerable and wanting so bad to believe that everything was okay, we just went with it. Hmm. Um, anyways, seven months later, she, we got a phone call and Laura's like, okay, the birth mom is delivering, um, but she wants 24 hours with the baby. And we were like, okay, we'll wait here. Um, and we packed our bags. All our stuff is right by the front door. And we get a call again in 24 hours. And Laura said that the birth mom changed her mind, that she's going to keep the baby. Um, and she's so sorry. We were so heartbroken, so devastated, but very aware that this happens. But it didn't feel right. There was something that just did not feel right to us. Right. Um, so we, you know, chose to pick ourselves back up again and continue forward. Um, but I didn't feel like uh, I wanted to work with Laura anymore. I just, not because there was a failed adoption, just because something didn't feel correct. Right. Yeah. And anyways, we you had found, that mother instinct before. Yeah. Your mother. Yeah, it was crazy. So we found out a week later that she was um, arrested because she had been scamming hundreds of couples across the country. Oh my God. Making up that people were pregnant. <gasps> getting Yes. Getting birth moms to lie to adoptive moms and be on the phone with them and lie and say, Hey, I'm pregnant. This is the scenario so that she can collect all the money. Holy moly. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, so, she's got uh, like, I, I don't know what kind of charges that would be, but I mean. 20 years in federal prison. She's oh, up against. Thank God. I feel like it should be even longer. Yeah. Holy I, I just, it, she, I mean, she was smart in that she found a target audience that was very vulnerable, absolutely. but it's just horrible. Oh, it's like morally horrible. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I'm really glad we didn't go with her in the end yeah. <laughs> and we continued forward. We found this beautiful like law firm in Florida that um, actually did the adoption with my um, daughter, Madeline. And um, it was a totally different scenario. You know, I talked to um, Maddie's birth mom on the phone. We texted. I went and visited her in Florida or James and I both did in Florida twice and took her and um, the birth father out for meals. And it was completely an open communication. Of course, there was like anxiety and worry. Will she place in the end? But it was just so much smoother. Now, when you went ahead to find this new agency in Florida, I mean, you have to be so skeptical and so, you know, overly cautious what did you do? What steps did you take? Or how could you kind of settle your heart to just know that this next place was trustworthy? Right. So I, I decided that I wanted to have as much open communication as possible with the birth mom. That helps, that helps eliminate some of the scams. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I wanted paperwork. So anything that we were expensing or paying for, I wanted to um, know exactly what we were paying for. I was happy to do it, but I didn't want it to just be like, oh, and she needed an extra $500. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And um, that's what, that, what, what would happen in the past. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
and you know, you never know. You don't know if you're going to get scammed and you don't know if it's going to end with the birth mom deciding that she wants to keep the baby. You, you have no idea, but right. you just have to hope and um, do your due diligence in trying to get to know the person and the agency and right. well, as I much as that, you can. Yeah, I think that's, um, I've had some other friends who have dealt with um, some adoption type things like that. And it was the same type of thing. They kind of really got connected with the birth mom and open communication and visiting like you, just like you said. And I think that's all you can do. But there is that sense that you can, the pit in your stomach, you know, that you can feel if something's right or not. Yeah, absolutely. I had to trust that. Absolutely. And in the end, it was like so beautiful because we didn't know if we would, if we would get to see Madeline for the first 24 hours. Cause a lot of times the birth moms want the child to themselves for 24 hours. We didn't know if we'd be welcomed into the hospital and um, Maddie's birth mom and dad like brought us to the hospital. Like the minute the baby was delivered, they were like, please send it right to their parents, meaning James and I. Wow. And we stayed in the hospital like any normal couple that like delivers a baby. a baby. Right. Yeah. For the three nights. And we got to hold her and feed her for the first time and do all those things and learn from the nurses. Those are things that a lot of adoptive parents don't get to experience. And it was right. just so beautiful. And we were so lucky. So now, lucky. If I remember correctly, as you just said, once the baby was born, you were able to hold the baby right away and be with the baby alone. But there was still that time, right? Yeah. Before you quite yeah. knew. And how did you manage that? Um, just a lot I don't of know. I think, you, I think you just have to protect your heart to an extent. Right. But I was a goner. I mean, I was- yeah, At I this point. <laughs> you know, like I was in love the second I held her. Yeah. Um, and I just had to believe that um, her, her birth mom and dad would make the choice that was right for her. And we were very lucky that it was us. Very lucky. And so now have you still had contact with any, with the birth parents at all or? I have actually. Yes. Um, they gave me the biggest gift in the world. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just yeah. always thankful for them. I check in with them. I'll write um, the birth mom emails every once in a while or send pictures. She did want some space mm -hmm. and I respect that, but um, I just never want her to, even question for a second that I don't appreciate everything that she did and love her for giving me Madeline and just, and so grateful, so grateful. Mm. And if I'm correct too, your story doesn't stop there, right? Oh no. <laughs> okay. So there's this one part. That's just <laughs> there's the beginning. <laughs> there's this one part that I forgot. So on the day that Maddie was born, um, I was actually pregnant because James and I had decided like a month before to try IVF again. When, on the day that Maddie was born, did you know that? Or when did you find that out? No, we knew, we knew. Like with IVF, you find out pretty much right away. So we and knew so I, you I was try, pregnant. How, how uh, soon before Maddie was born, did you try the IVF? A month, month and a half. Oh, okay. So you were already basically pregnant. You were like a month in when... Yeah, I was about a month and a half in. Okay. Yeah. 
So it was still really new, but we were there and we were very aware. We were like, okay, we're going to have two beautiful babies. How lucky are we? Um, or we were hoping that, um, the day that we got to the hospital in the morning, we were, you know, in, uh, the birth mom and dad's room and like supporting them. And then we decided we would go to the lobby because we wanted to give them some privacy. So we went to the lobby and I started getting cramps and I ended up having a miscarriage. So they had to rush me down to the other part of the hospital because I was going through a miscarriage. And we didn't, we, we literally were like, we were texting Maddie's mom being like, out for lunch. Uh, be oh, back you didn't soon. tell? You no, didn't because tell. we didn't want to take away from her joy and her experience. Right. Oh my God. So, I mean, who goes to lunch when their child is being delivered? So that it didn't even make sense, <laughs> but well. I, we couldn't even think about what to say. So, yeah. um, oh my God. Yeah. So we went through that. We, uh, you know, picked herself back up and went upstairs and supported, um, Maddie's mom and dad and just hoped and prayed that Maddie would be ours. And it ended up being the most beautiful day in the world. And it was kind of magical because we had to stay there because of legal stuff. Um, but we got to like, just focus on her for three straight weeks, which was beautiful. So eventually, um, we left Florida. We went on a plane. I was such a psycho on the plane. I was like Cloraxing the seats <laughs> and everything. Cause my daughter was like two weeks old. Yeah. You're like, I finally have this precious gem. <laughs> Nothing can happen. Yeah. I know. James sat down. He's like, I'm soaking wet. And I was like, oh, you're fine. It's like so Cloroxed. <laughs> well, what can you do? Um, so we get back to California and then like um, a month or two later, we're like, you know what? We really want to try to have more kids because we want Maddie to have a brother or sister. So we do go through IVF one more time. Oh my God. And we put, I know, I know. <laughs> you're, just, you're a miracle. Okay. So we put um, two embryos in this time because we had more because of the donor eggs. Um, and I got pregnant with um, twins and I am currently in my seventh, mo- seventh month of being oh. pregnant. So they're, <gasps> doing great and Maddie's also great so we're gonna have three kids by the end of this year which is pretty oh my god unbelievable yeah what a miracle I yeah. feel like we're gonna have to do a catch-up episode when you have all three after you get the handle <laughs> on it and you're like juggling we'll, we'll we'll catch up on twin and uh what, well what will she be then when they're born she'll be she'll be 11 months okay so yeah. yeah, so we'll have we'll have to catch up at that point. My God, okay. wow! Absolutely, holy moly! What an unbelievable story of resilience and just—I don't know. You're just you're like a hero. I feel um, to have that resilience. I just think is something that's mind blowing, and I really think is admirable because I know that a lot of people get discouraged, and it's been so eye-opening for me as all of my friends start to have children as to how often moms and women miscarry and that just being one part of the puzzle and I don't know I guess maybe it's more talked about now than other times but um I just think even something like that can be hard to come back from and the fact that you did numerous times 
more than you can count on one hand. And then also dealing with all of the adoption drama and, oh, it's just amazing. And then how blessed you're going to be to just have three healthy babies. That's so exciting. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm super blessed. And I think it's hard because, um, now it's becoming more, I don't want to say acceptable to talk about, but miscarriage wasn't really talked about a while ago, you know, and I'm glad more women are talking about it because it is hard for people to go through. And there are so many journeys in having a child. Um, Some people are very lucky and they get pregnant really easily and that's beautiful in itself. But for those that have more of a struggle, there are so many options out there. You know, well, I think it's just nice to have somebody like you who pretty much hit like every obstacle you could possibly <laughs> hit, but to, to show that there is a way. And I, I one of my questions I was going to ask you is what kept you going? But I think you already answered it in just saying that your mind was set. You were going to have a baby. So no matter what obstacle you came up against, you were willing to push through and break down that barrier to make it happen. Is that what you would say? Or was there anything else? No, I I just, there are so many beautiful kids out there. I didn't care if it was my genetics or not. Mm. I just wanted to have a child that I could love and help and support and just see them blossom and grow. And I just knew that no matter what obstacle would come my way, that we would find another route. What advice would you give hopeful moms that are in, that were, or are currently in the position that you were in? I guess my biggest advice is try to reach out to other moms that are in a similar situation or have been in a similar situation. It's really, really helpful to hear how someone overcomes something or gets past something or, you know, when you're in the middle of a miscarriage, it feels like you're never going to have a child. It feels like it's, you're never going to be that lucky. And just to hear that, you know, one of your good friends experienced the same thing or something similar. Yeah. um, Really helps. Well, and I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast because I was just hearing from some of my friends how just, pumping and breastfeeding alone can be kind of lonely and this and that. So I thought, well, let me give them something that they can listen to (laughs) during that time. But in addition to it, I just want to get these stories out there and normalize that there is nothing normal about being a mom, you know, but at the same time, all the craziness is normal, if that makes any sense. It's like the biggest um, mix up of Nothing is ever the same. Everybody's journey is different, but you're all doing it together. And your everyone's story is just so inspiring. Um, did you ever feel like giving up or feel like maybe you weren't meant to have babies or did it never even cross your mind? Oh, yes, of course. I think that's only natural. Um, and when I would feel down and like, I don't know if I can move, go any further, James would, you know, pick me back up. And when James would feel down and, um, feel like he couldn't go any further, I was the one that was like, come on, James, we can do this. Right. So I think, um, if you can have that in a partner and your partner can be your support, that's pretty amazing and vital in order to get through some of the muddy times. And now you go through this unbelievable experience and you decide to 
put it in a book and write a book. So tell us about this. Um, so I decided that I would, when you're adopting, you're always wondering, how do you explain to your child that they're adopted? And how do you make it so it's normalized? Um, so I was trying to get books and figure out like, what can I say and read um, different little, you know, storybooks before bedtime and whatnot. And I was like, you know what, there's no like chapter books on a, like a little girl's or a little boy's experience with adoption and just making it a normalized word. So I decided to write a book called The Reluctant Fairy Godmother. Mm. And um, it's about a little girl that's adopted and she doesn't feel special. Like her sisters are fantastic at sports and like all, her um, younger sister's really, really creative and special. And she just feels like she's not really good at anything. And mm. through the book, she realizes how special she really is. And um, that standing out and not always fitting in is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. And you said that this was a chapter book, so it's not necessarily a book for babies as, as she's growing up necessarily, but ones she can kind of comprehend more. Is that correct? Yeah, about like six to eight or nine years old is like mm -hmm. the ideal reading age. But honestly, it's, I think it's really sweet. So I think that a lot of ages might enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I bet. And do you intend to extend it at all or write more books? Yeah, so it's a series. This is just oh, the okay. very first one. Oh, um, awesome. But we haven't gotten the other ones out yet. So, Well, that's yeah. okay. It's good to create a little <laughs> bit of uh, excitement over it. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And tell us a little bit about your, you have a co-writer, correct, and an illustrator. And tell, so tell us about them and are they moms and how did they join in? They are not moms, but they are fabulously talented. Yeah. Um, Colette Friedman is the other co-writer, and she has done several books, bestsellers. She's done Lifetime movies. She's really, really wow. well accomplished. Um, and Alexandria Scalsunis is the illustrator? Yeah. And she's just like one of those these girls that are just talented at everything. She's yeah, so I crazy. Actually, yeah. For those listening, I actually went to school with Alex and it's true. I didn't even, all of a sudden I saw your post up about the book and then I saw her name connected to it. And I'm like, what? She's like an unbelievably gorgeous actor and doing all these wonderful things. And she's an illustrator. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Like literally whenever I need anything like artistic, I'm like, oh, I know who can do it. She's so, she, she's a photographer, a, a illustrator and actress. She's, just one of those people. <laughs> just got, That's yeah. 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 So. And how yeah. long did it take you all to write the book and put it together? Probably about a year, more or less. Oh, well, to be honest, I feel like that's actually fairly quick. Yeah. Um, but it's a great team and um, we just hope that lots of people will read it and get the message out there that there's just so much um, – Every single person is so special, even if they're not aware of what makes them special quite yet. Yeah. And everybody has such a different story and that makes exactly. it special in itself. Yeah. And so I guess that kind of tags onto my question. Um, my other question was, what is your hope for the book? 
Um, my hope for the book. Well, there's so many different hopes. I hope it like blows up and there's right, movies of course. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> but um, I just want the, I want children to understand adoption and I want the children that are adopted to understand how it's cool. It's, it's unique and their parents picked them, you know? Um, so they're pretty special, special human beings. So my final question is, well, we can kind of do a, we'll do a double. We can do um, one for Maddie and then one for your two twin babies that are on the way. So I would love to know when they are, now we're jumping way ahead to the future of when they're about 18, what would you like them to know and what would you like to say to them? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, that I love them more than anything in the entire world and that I'm proud of the people that they are. And it's been a huge, huge honor being their mom. I love that. That's so special. And I think they're going to be really, really proud of you and their father and all the work and the time and the commitment that they put in, that you put in to getting them and giving them such a wonderful, loving, warm home. Well, thank you. Now I just have to not screw up the raising part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm, I tell you, if you went through this much effort to just get them, I think, um, I think they're pretty solid kids. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think they couldn't. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for telling your unbelievable story. It's just truly inspiring. And I hope that anybody listening can take a little bit of inspiration, of perseverance, um, and such, such an amazing story. And if there's something that you want, especially if it's becoming a mama, that you just don't stop. Thank you so much, Kim. Of course. My pleasure. What an unbelievable story that was. I mean, is your mind blown just as much as mine is? I couldn't believe when I was interviewing her. I just, I just was at a loss for words. And I still am. Her story is just so inspiring. And I hope that it inspired you. If you have any questions for Kim, send me an email at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com and I'll reach out to her. Thank you so much for listening to this unbelievable episode. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you get a chance, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to The Pumping Podcast. And I can't wait to bring you the next one. Until then, keep on pumping. <laughs>